0: We're on Lesson 5. I want to know how much you guys are feeling like you've learned. All right, so we have uh, been going through Why Trust the Bible? And I want to give you an opportunity to regurgitate some of what you've already done. So uh, if you look at your handout, um, we're going to take a look today at Why Trust the Bible when the Bible has changed over time. But to recap, let's think... Number one, our our first week was, why trust the Bible when the Bible is a human book? And humans make all sorts of mistakes to err as human. So why should we trust the Bible, even though, yes, the Bible is a very human book? Who will be my first victim? Because I will call on somebody. John. Because it's inspired by God. How does that work with being a human book? Inspi- and by inspired do we mean that they like were thinking about God and oh they just had an inspirational thought, like an inspirational quote, like on the precious moments. Figurines. Only if you're <laughs> what does inspired mean in the context of biblical in the biblical text? All the words in the original. All the words in the original are uh, God breathe. God breathed, 2 Timothy 3. All the words of Scripture are God breathed. We call that, the 25 cent phrase was, verbal, plenary, plenary inspiration. Good. So even though the Bible is a human book, it is also God's book, God superintended, the authors who were writing the very words of God. Okay, next, next question. Somebody says, says to you, why do you trust the Bible? Because the Bible is full of errors. What would you say? How do you say? How do you respond? You respond. I'm sure with the whole conversation, but how do you? What's your general approach? The Bible can have errors because it's from God. God's infallible. Okay, so you have a theological argument that the Bible is is infallible is inerrant because it is the word of God and God is the unlying God. Okay, what do you do when they want to point to particular errors as they think? So David gives a great overall theological answer for why you can be trusty. What do you say to him? Okay, so you could, you could, argue, you could argue that uh, there's no other, well, there's no other source that's more reliable. Okay. What kind of approach do you use if he says, well, look, such and such happened and this seems to contradict this? What's your general approach? Is it to curl up into a wall? fetal? Each writer had a different perspective and was aiming to bring out different things. Okay, so we look, is it, is it, look, is it seeing the same event from new, two different perspectives and giving complementary rather than contradictory detail? Excellent. Um, culturally and in the time certain things weren't as important like exact numbers, exact times it's what generally the script great, perfect so there's not the level of precision we require from our modern historical accounts was just not intended in the other accounts so you have in Kings it says there were 750,000 Things And the other, and Chronicles says there were 700,000 things, and they're not going for the same level of precision that wasn't expected or required. Okay, so basically, we come with a presumption of faith, and then we can look at the details and you can consult also resources, because these things haven't been done in a vacuum. There's all sorts of resources to help with that. Okay, what about the Bible is full of myths? Why should I trust the Bible when the Bible is full of myths? It's just some kind of the latest regurgitation of, a, of some mystery cult. Okay, so the passages themselves understand it as historical, and more than that, Je- well, not more than that. Jesus presents it as historical. He understands the Old Testament to be historical. So again, if we're gonna if we're gonna trust Jesus with everything we are and have and do, then we trust him as he understands the historicity. All right, good. Uh, we'll we did. We'll skip over Bible Missing Some Books. We just did that more recently, so less need for review. But this week, we're going to talk about why has the Bible changed over time. The tr- why trust the Bible when it has changed over time is the presumption, the the critical or faithless presumption to the question. We're going to look. Now, this is perhaps one of the... Well, we've just didn't, done all these. This is perhaps... Uh, one of the more technical lectures between this week and, and next week. I'm dividing it into two. This is one of the more technical lectures. Um, so, we, are, you know, um, there's nothing that I'm going to say that I think is going to be too hard to understand. Part of what makes it challenging is just not the information itself. It's just our lack of familiarity on how textual transmission works in general we don't have the vocab it's just not part of what we studied in 8th grade right or everything I learned I learned in kindergarten right and most of us didn't look at textual criticism as part of our kindergarten curriculum an analogy would be when I hear Elisa talking um, to a medical colleague it suddenly feels as if my wife is speaking in tongues because she starts and and, and then you know she explains a whole big thing and, and then I say what on earth were you saying oh he broke his arm Oh, that's, that, you know, so we're going to get into some details, we're going to get into some definitions, you're going to hear terms that you've never heard before, and don't be freaked out by that, let's learn them, and let's, for that reason, have a better understanding, uh, so that when I talk about a textual apparatus, you don't go, <coughs> all right, so... Just trust. We're going to talk about codices and papyri and manuscripts and textual variants. It's going to sound textual, technical, and intimidating, but it's not because it's an intrinsically hard subject. Uh, It's just unfamiliar to us. So we're trying to make it familiar. Uh, we don't expect you to walk away with all the specific details, but at least a greater understanding of how this works and a greater confidence, therefore, that the Bible is in fact trustworthy. Okay, how has this come more, and how has this question of transmission come more into the public consciousness? Now you know that uh, we've said this on several occasions. There have been all sorts of discussions that would, in a former generation, been reserved for the techie academics. But now, the New York Times and the new, and, and Newsweek and uh, New York Times bestseller lists can have very popularized versions of these ideas that, hey, the Bible's a bunch of rubbish. And so, for instance, here we go. Our old friend, Bart Ehrman, wrote a book, Misquoting Jesus, the story behind who changed the Bible and why New York Times bestseller, which means that millions of people read it. At least millions of people bought it and have it on their shelves. Um, but... The the, this is now a more, the the question of the idea of has the Bible changed uh, is now more in the public forum. So your neighbors have just in the back of their mind, they didn't read the book maybe, but they've got this little niggle, oh well, the Bible's just been changed a ton. Now, I do want to say we are going to talk today mostly about, we're going to focus on the New Testament, not the Old Testament. Here's the reason why. Well, one is just we can't, we don't have the time. But the other is this lovely book here, the Leningrad Codex. This is the oldest extant manuscript, complete manuscript that we have of the Hebrew Old Testament. It's the Leningrad Codex because it was found in what was Leningrad, now St. Petersburg, and it was made in 1008 AD. Now, a codex is the kind of book that has, the, that is a little bit more like what we have. Rather than a scroll, it's a codex, which means it has all the books in, a, in, the, in the order, and it's bound together. So, this book from 1008, and it's the oldest collection of the Hebrew scriptures that we have. Now, you say, wow, 1008? That's really old. But, when we think that the, New Testament, or the Old Testament was completed around 500 B.C., that's still a 1,500-year gap. How do we know that, it, that, that, that what we have from 1,008 is actually accurate to what was written 1,500 years earlier than that? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. This is a copy of the Great Isaiah Scroll, which is from 125 B.C. Now, who can guess where that was discovered? Anyone piece together? That's the Dead Sea Scrolls. Very good, Damon. This is one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it has a complete, this is a complete scroll of the book of Isaiah. Now, 15, so so this brings us up much, much earlier than the Leningrad Codex, right? This is 1008. This is 125 BC. So now we've gone back over a 1,000 years earlier. Over a thousand years closer to where the original were the, the original writings, and guess what? Extraordinarily similar. Extra no not what not without any differences at all, but amazingly small number of differences. They're very very close, which shows that the tra- the stable how stable the transmission history of the Hebrew Old Testament was. Even though we don't have any hard evidence for all the centuries between 125, say and uh, 1008, but when you see v- v- extremely minute differences in, its, in in details of texts that are that old, it's really cool. So we're not going to actually spend much time. We're going to presume that what we have uh, there's great evidence that the Old Testament texts are what we are what actually are accurate. Now, but then here's our here's our old our old friend Dan Brown. Right? Here's what the critics want to say about the New Testament. So. Dan Brown, The Da Vinci Code, that excellent historical narrative. The Bible has evolved through countless, countless translations, additions, and revisions. History has never had a definitive version of the book. Lovely. History's never had, never ever has there been a definitive version of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Good. Good. Would, would, would that that were true, according to Dan Brown. All right. Newsweek. The Bible so misunderstood it's a sin, right? These things always come out right before Easter or right before Christmas. The real Jesus, you know. So, now, this is what this, is what this, person, this person wrote. No television preacher has ever read the Bible. That's a nicely provocative statement. It gets, get, gets at us all sorts of ways, doesn't it? Neither has any evangelical politician. So, don't trust them. Neither has the Pope, neither have I, and neither have you. <gasps> At best we've all read a bad translation, a translation of translations of translations of hand copied copies of copies of copies of copies and on and on hundreds of times. And this is this is Bart Ehrman. This isn't as much this isn't he's he's gonna be more sophisticated than that person was. But he wrote this. This kind of realization oh BJ? I was just consulting with my friend Jeff here. <laughs> And uh, we together agree that it's interesting that Newsweek is no longer in print. <laughs> <laughs> Newsweek is no longer in print? No. It's I didn't know that. Digital. It's digital. Yeah. digital now. So. Yeah. What do you find is the significance to that? The Bible is still in print. <laughs> the Bible is still in print. It has outlasted Newsweek. <laughs> All right, Ehrman says, this kind of realization coincided... Now, this, this guy's a real biblical scholar. He's a pagan, but he's a real biblical scholar. This kind of realization coincided with the problems I was encountering the more closely I studied the surviving Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. It is one thing to say that the originals were inspired. I'm sorry, it is one thing to say that the originals were inspired, right? Which is what we say. We don't actually claim that the text, the, you know, the, the, the King James or the ESV... Or, we, don't claim that, we claim that the original writers, as they wrote down, were given by inspiration of God and God-breathed. But the reality is, we don't have the originals. So saying they were inspired doesn't help me much unless I can reconstruct the originals. But the vast majority of Christians for the entire history of the church have not had access to the originals, making their, in, their inspiration something of a moot point. If God's inspired his word, but we don't actually have it, is the presumption, then what difference does it make? Not only do we not have the originals, we don't have the first copies of the originals or the copies of the copies of the originals or the copies of the copies of the copies of the originals. Now, actually, actually, it, it does seem that we probably do have copies of the copies of the copies. We probably do have the third generation, some of them, for some of it. So it doesn't, it, it, yeah, that, that's still, but, but it's only three copies away. What we have are copies made later, much later, We'll get to some of that. In most instances, copies made many centuries later, and these copies all differ from one another in many thousands of places. As we will see later in this study, these copies differ from each other in so many places, we don't even know how many differences there are. Possibly it's easiest to put it in comparative terms. There are more differences among our manuscripts than there are words in the New Testament. (gasps) All right, anybody getting a little queasy yet? Anyone getting a little nervous? I... I I, I don't know. I read that, and it's like, wow, that, that's, a, that's an impressive figure. Should I be a little worried? And So here's, here's essentially where we're, what we're talking about. We're talking about the telephone game, right? Which you all played as kids, probably under some kind of uh, other name, maybe. But how does it work? How does the telephone game work? What do you start with? A sentence or a statement. You start with a sentence or a statement. And that gets transferred down, whispered to the next person, who whispers it to the next person, who whispers it to the next person. And then finally, you get to the end of the line, and what do you, have? do you have? You have a message. You have a sentence, probably, but is it the same as what you started with? No. It's actually It can be quite different, and hilariously different in some cases. And that's the common sense gut sense of what's going on here. How could we possibly know that the Bible isn't corrupted the same way that sentence is garbled from the telephone game? Now, of course, we're not talking about kindergartners whispering, of course, so that I think we can trust that there are some better means than that. But, all right. Uh, So, the Bible didn't just get passed down by a handful of people over a short time, but it was passed down by thousands of people over thousands of years. This is true. We know that there are changes along the way, and eventually what we're left with today, say these folks, is a corrupted Bible, which we can never tell what was originally said. So, it doesn't really matter what you think about what God did back then. What we have right now isn't trustworthy. Okay. Now, we're going to talk first and, and and we're going to divide up this lecture. We're going to get somewhere down into point three. I don't know exactly how far we're going to get, but point three is the longest section, and we're going to get probably down to about C today, and then we'll, we'll come up. First, first we're, going to, uh, we're going to talk about what we do not have, what we do not have, and then we're going to talk about what we do have. What we do not have is not going to unsettle us, and what we do have is going to reassure us. He's going to assure us. Here's what we do not have. These are the things we can readily concede. We do not have the original writings. We don't have the, the piece of papyrus or the piece of parchment that Paul wrote on. All the original copies of the New Testament are lost to us. So the, the, what Matthew wrote, what Jude wrote, what John wrote Revelation on. Um, now, those things are called the original texts. Those are called, and this is, this is, what, this is a word I want you to know. The autographs. Autographs, self-writing. These are, the actual, these are the actual documents that were written down when Paul probably scribed to Timothy such and such a letter. That's what was written down. That's an autograph. That's what we believe and claim is inspired. Now, the original writings together are called the autographs. We might have some of the third generation of those. So, it gets copied, it gets copied, it gets copied. That's not too bad. That's not. That's not a very. We like. We have some really, really old manuscripts. We also, we don't like have the first copies of the original texts. Um, but it's overstated to say that all we have is copies of copies of copies of copies of copies of. you know, so we we might have the third generation. The original writings, by the way, would have been on scrolls, not papyrus. Um, which is, uh, which is what all the earliest copies of the New Testament that we have now are written on. So our earliest copies are on papyrus, but they probably would have originally been written on scrolls. The originals would not likely have persisted for many decades because they were on fairly perishable materials. So they would have fallen apart by the end of the second century. So we don't have the kind of preservation, you know, the Declaration of Independence is like what, under... Special glass and under special xenon air and things like that. Well, we don't. We, they didn't have that, so these their manuscripts were their the originals would not have been preserved uh, long. Okay, so we don't have the original writings. That's no problem. It's no problem. We we can concede that we it, they weren't written on permanent materials, right? Clay, right? That's a cuneiform tablet from. From somewhere, actually, I don't know, don't know where that's from, but that's actually very sturdy, right? You know, and now we can upload things into the cloud, right? And they can be, except for digital. John, what's the word? They can be lost by hackers. You know? They can be lost by hackers, but digital, when, what happens when you lose a little bit and a little bit over time, Degrad- Okay, bit rot. Bit rot. Yeah, that's a new term to me. Okay. They, they were written mostly on, they would have been written on papyrus or on parchment or vellum, right? Papyrus is the, that reed from Egypt that unroll, can unroll and form what essentially feels like a piece of paper, but it's relatively easy to destroy. You have parchment, which is sheep skin or some other kind of animal skin, maybe calf skin. Um, that's that's parchment or vellum that's prepared for writing through a process of being scraped down and dried. It was expensive, it was time intensive, and they, apparently an average calf skin could provide three and a half medium sheets of writing material. So, uh, pretty expensive to write on these, and and, and carefully carefully and uh, used. So, but obviously that also is subject to degradation. Papyrus was pretty fragile. Uh, vellum or parchment, not so fragile. You know, the stone tablets, the you know, the Ten Commandments were written on that. They lasted for they lasted for centuries. Um, you know that you know. There's there's more permanent materials. There's less permanent materials, and and the the New Testament was written on less uh, less uh, more materials that were more subject to degradation. Okay. The point is that none of the materials would have been were on. Uh, materials that would have endured, which is why we don't have the original documents. And it's why we have fewer older manuscripts that are closer to where the New Testament was written, and we have more later manuscripts, because something from the 2nd century isn't going to last as well as something from the 3rd century, which isn't going to last as well as something from the 8th century. And there was a concerted effort by the Roman authorities to confiscate and destroy uh, copies of the Bible. So the Bible couldn't be uploaded right... The cloud from the pen of John, uh, technology didn't exist. We also didn't have any printing. So, the printing press was invented by Gutenberg in 1440, and before that, all copies of the New Testament would have been written by hand. When we refer to manuscripts, manus, hand, scriptus, writing, these are all literally handwritten documents. There's no other process of book production. If you want a copy of the letter of Colossians, you have to copy it yourself. Or pay someone else to copy it. Now, later on in the monasteries, there were professional scribes, uh, and there were schools of, of scholars working together to copy manuscripts. But still, very long, tedious process. And in the early church, you think you think about how the the early church would have gotten the different letters and things. Well, they would have relied on whoever was literate, right? Not everyone was literate, and uh, you had to you might have to do it on the run from the from the Romans. Um, So, in the midst of persecution, copying and book production of these canonical sacred writings wasn't systematic. It wasn't centrally overseen. There wasn't, like, you know, the church council for the the copying of scriptural manuscripts, right? It was all being done on, on, you know, more more or less on the fly. Um, So, because of all those things, it is true. What we do not have, we do not have uniformity. Because all copies of the New Testament were handwritten manuscripts, there were inevitably scribal mistakes. It's simply the by of copying large texts by hand, especially by non-professionals. So most of the mistakes are accidental. They're not trying to change the Bible. Um, if you were to see how difficult a task is, just try yourself copying down, like the Gospel of Luke. You know, how, how, how would you do at, at doing something? Uh, see how many mistakes you make. But the reality is that out of the thousands of copies of the New Testament manuscripts, we have none, no two of them, are absolutely identical. They are all different. They all have some scribal mistakes in them. Sometimes the same, Sometimes it's the same scribal mistakes. So, for instance, if you, you might have a mistake introduced into a whole family of manuscripts. So a bunch of manuscripts from one part of the, of the Mediterranean all has a particular, the same particular variant, because they were made, might have all been copied from the same source. And so you have this whole family that is a little different from this family, of fam- meaning family, meaning a collection of manuscripts. So just like the New Testament didn't come out of the first century as a complete canon of universally accepted books like we studied last week, so it didn't, you know, the, the table of contents didn't come down from God Inspired In the same way, the New Testament doesn't come to us as a single, uniform, perfect version of what the authors originally wrote. It is not the reality. We, we need to concede that. Now, what we don't need to do is be frustrated or scared by that. Because here's what we do have. So let me stop there. Ask, ask questions at this point. Because now we're going to move on to what we do have. Yeah? Not just one telephone chain. There were all no. sorts of telephone chains. And so uh, when you were saying uniformity, I know that's not how you meant it, but that you know there wasn't uniformity in each one of the telephone chains and at the end of the line you're able to compare and and, and as you said before, some manuscripts, they carried something forth because after the first error was made, then there was some level of faithfulness in carrying the error. Forward. But since they didn't all start from the same place, there's is uh, I would think that there would be confidence in comparing the different chains. You're, you're absolutely right, and the key word is compare. And we're gonna get much more into that probably next week. We're gonna, yeah, Beach. Oh. Well, so, it, yes, there's, it was a messy process, but I think interestingly enough, the messiness of it and the spread outness of it and the lack of centralized control Cuts against one of the major attacks Of scripture Which is that it was all controlled by one big cabal Mm. Uh, You know No it was actually a very Democratic process if you will It was just very loosely done Uh, And uh, Everybody's got to watch out for my hand That's why he's not beside me Uh, But it cuts against that That lie It was an organic process It wasn't like Constantine and his three cronies said let's write the bible yeah, cow. At some point on the other side of the coin, defending uh, uh, the accuracy of the scriptures, Josh McDowell, are you going to get into him? Yeah. Uh not probably, um, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, what's his famous book? I started reading it. Uh, Josh McDowell, uh, oh, gosh. evidence <laughs> that demands a verdict. I write. It, well, anyway, it's, it talks about twenty-five thousand. Actual documents from antiquity uh, and the, just the amazing congruence between these copies of copies of copies of copies. and That is what we're going to go into. I we're just not necessarily going to do it from Jack McDowell's perspective. Yeah? Uh, um, how do translations and the fact that like Greek is no longer the mm-hmm. lingua franca of Europe by. What does that do to the the text, the manuscripts that we have available? Are we, are we then looking at like Latin manuscripts as well as Greek manuscripts? We're looking at Greek and Latin manuscripts. But of course we don't believe that the Latin is inspired, so but but yes, but they're helpful in the comparison, right? Because if a whole phrase is there or not there, the Latin will, will either will represent that. Right? Okay. Uh, we all want to rush to the yeah, it's okay, and it really is. That's what we're about to get to. But we, do, we need to start by saying we don't do ourselves any favors by failing to acknowledge the reality that, yes, there are textual variants in the Bible. That It doesn't help us to deny that fact. It, that, you know, we're, not, we're not helped by something that's not the truth. <laughs> right? We need to acknowledge what we need to acknowledge, which is that, yeah, we don't have uniformity. But now how is it that I can look at that ESV and hold it up to you and say, this is the word of God, because I am going to say that at the end. Okay, here's what we do have. Oh, okay, he wants me to tell you again what we don't have. Don't have the original writings, the autographs. Don't have permanent materials. We have papyrus and parchment for the early manuscripts. We don't have printing. We don't have uniformity. Okay, what we do have is a reliance on manuscripts. Now, this is actually not a manuscript of the scriptures. This is a manuscript, I think, of Suetonius, Right, but this is you, you see, you know, an example here of what an ancient manuscript that has suffered some degradation um, uh, looks like. Now, here's the challenge: we do have to rely on these handwritten manuscripts to know the word of God and for the Bible to be transmitted down to us, and this does introduce some challenges. But it's important to remember: number one, this is just the same challenge that there is for any ancient writing. So anything we know about anything from antiquity comes to us the same way, through handwritten manuscripts. We don't have original copies of any work from antiquity. Right? So, omnes gallia es duisi es in tres partes, right? You know, you know Caesar's, um, uh, Caesar's accounts of his wars in Gaul, right? We don't have his original manuscript of or what he wrote down on that. We don't have any original manuscript from from antiquity. This just, this isn't, this is just an argument to level the playing field, right? Because most people aren't going around saying that, th- that what we have from Julius Caesar probably wasn't, isn't really accurate, right? They're uniquely concerned about attacking the Bible. So let's take that off the table. This is the same game that everybody's playing in terms of trying to figure out what the original was. The Bible is singled out many times, but this is how it would have worked for any ancient writing, and the New Testament is not unique. In fact, we're going to see that it's unique in the other way. It's in a much better state of preservation than most uh, uh, of the other works of antiquity. There are two kinds of attitudes to avoid when talking about this subject specifically, can we know that we have God's word? Right. That's the question. Can we know that we have God's word? There's two sides of the donkey you can fall off of. I don't want you to fall off the donkey either way. We definitely need to avoid an attitude of radical skepticism, which is what we're focusing on most tonight. So the critics that I quoted above are looking at these facts and, frankly, distorting the facts. That leads them to the conclusion that we can't know anything at all radically skeptical. So how on earth do we know that Jesus really rose from the dead? Because we don't have the original manuscripts. How do we know that the Bible you know, um, contem- condemns adultery? We don't have any of the original manuscripts, right? So we can't know anything, right? That, you know, that, that they're trying to undercut any reliance on the truthfulness of God's word. That's just wrong. But, in relying on these handwritten manuscripts, we also need to avoid the attitude of absolute certainty, such that you would say, I know for a fact that every, I know, I can absolutely guarantee you every word of scripture that I know what, what was originally written. So, that would be to fall off the donkey on the other way. You know, n- neither BJ, nor I, nor any, nor the most biblical scholar in the world who's faithful can say, I know exactly what the original autograph said, in every detail, Right? It wasn't done by Xerox. This attitude sometimes underlies, if any of you grew up in the, or, or maybe you still hold to this, would underline the, the King James only movement. Right? So we'll say more about next week. But, but because part of the reason is that if you're worried about differences in translation, they just latch onto this one translation and say, okay, this, this is the inspired translation and we're going to we're going to put our finger on this and say whatever happened through this process, this is where we're going to go, and this is the uh, this is the word of God and nothing else. And it just doesn't work like that. So we're t- we're trying to tear down faulty views on any side. We're trying to to get um, you know be an equal opportunity whacker. Stay on the donkey. Stay on the donkey. All right. We need a foundation that's theologically and historically informed and that can stand against these criticisms. So we have the same. Now look, here's a few, a, a few folks that have been looking at the manuscripts. So this is talking about the availability of the manuscripts. This is, this is a, gosh, I don't have his name. I'm sorry, I don't have the first guy's name. He's a, he was a count, I think, a German count, back from, uh, well, he has a photograph, so late 1800s. And he went out, he actually went out and sought out All the manuscripts that he could find. Now this in the middle is Dan Wallace. He has done a very similar thing. He's a, he's a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary and he's done the same thing. He's really, I think he is the one who started the Center for the Study of New Testament Manuscripts. And they've got teams that are going out to try and photograph, take the highest quality digital photographs that they can of all the manuscripts that can be found so that we can have, so that we can preserve all the stuff that's been preserved up till now, we can preserve it because now we have the technology to do much better digital preservation. So if the last thing we have from some manuscript in a monastery in Syria is something is a photograph that was taken 30 years ago, you know this guy wants to go there and actually take a new photograph with high pixel cameras so that we can make sure that we know uh, what things are, what you know have as, as best as possible. Now there isn't uh, there. One thing I want you to see is there isn't any. Conspiracy. There's no conspiracy. The fact of these 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 discrepancies between manuscripts is is been known. Now you may not be familiar with it, but that's that's just part of any. Uh, I'm going to show you a, a picture in a minute here. No, I'm going to show it to you now. So this, oh gosh, it doesn't show up great, but I want to show you what this is. This is what BJ and I have in some of our in some of our Greek texts, right? So kata mathion. That's this is the text of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, everything in that top section is the text. And if you could see it a little better, you'd see all sorts of little little uh, footnotes and headnotes in that text, and they all go down here. And this is what's called a textual apparatus. Te- textual apparatus, yeah. And what it says is it actually lists out all the slight differences that go between. So, for example... In the title, Kata right? according to Matthew. That's the title. That's the title in most manuscripts. But, if you see down, down at the bottom, and you can't read this, but there's some manuscripts that call it Evangelion Kata Mathayon, the Gospel according to Matthew. Or Hagion Evangelion Kata the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. So there are differences in how those, you know, in in even how the title is, and those are known, and you, and it actually says, okay, so these are the different manuscripts that have the variant. And these are the manuscripts that have the other variant. So we know, so this is a, um, this allows us to compare which families have slightly different, you know, have this word in versus this word. Right? So that's all laid out for us so that a pastor can read that and BJ and I can compare it and we can say, okay, I, I, you know, um, you know, we're going to get as best as we can. But at the end of the day, at the top is what they think is the, their best guess as to what the original text was. Does that make sense? Do you understand what this is doing? Don't feel shy if you need to ask a question here because this is technical. So up at the top is the Greek text. At the bottom is all the different... Little variations. So nothing's secret. Yes? Um, on like harder to understand passages, is that where you kind of would read the top and then compare the various bottom translations and be like, oh, okay, they're all saying this general idea but with different words, and that helps you kind of suss out what the... Yeah, you know, if, the I, if I'm <laughs> reading a text and I have a, if I have something that's rather difficult, I'm going to want to see... Is is the text absolutely uniform here, or is there any uh, is is there any divergence, um, you know, between? And then then I have to make it then I have to make a decision. How am I going to preach this? What am I? What is my best understanding of what the text is? Realizing that I'm just a, a no name pastor from Vermont, and these guys are a ton smarter than me. Right. So, any qu- any more questions about this? Okay, let me see where I am in my notes now. So faithful, gospel-believing Christian scholars have all been aware of all these textual variants for a long, long time. And evangelical Christians, not just atheists and liberals, are working on them. Because, of course, people who believe the Bible want us, we want to know, as close as we can, what the original text is. And it's out of love for God and dedication to his word that many of these scholars have dedicated their whole careers to studying the manuscripts of the Bible. So, now more than ever, these manuscripts are accessible you don 't even have to travel to the museums there 's high quality digital photographs of all the major New Testament manuscripts that are available for free now, if you want them I can find I can, I can give you the website and where you could look at those and they're, and, they're, and these teams are getting to work trying to document as many as soon as possible Now, I want you to actually look in your Bibles now go to mark seven in your Bible we 're going to see an example of this because even our English Bibles if there's something that is more than like just a letter or something, you know, like one letter out of place or something, our our New Testaments will actually tell us that. So go down to, let's see, um, go, go down to Luke 7, 11. Did I say Mark? I meant Luke. I meant Luke 7. Actually, the reality is, it was Mark, but lots of pages have this. So I actually want you to just to show you that i want you to go to luke 711 all right what do you have for luke 711 someone read it okay what do you have after the word afterward Jesus, right? But we have a number one. If you're in an ESV, you have a number one, and you go down to the bottom and you say, "What does number one say?" Some manuscripts. The next day, so some manuscripts have instead of soon afterwards he went to the town called Nain. Some manuscripts have the next day he went to a town called Nain. By the NIV, what does it say? No, no, because no, no, the NIV has other ones. They're, 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 each translation has to decide which ones have any significance, because so many of the variations have no significance whatsoever. Now, this one, let's think about it. Soon afterward, the next day. One of those might be the original autograph. One of those, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that that when Luke wrote this down, it either said the next day or soon afterward. And I I want you to start getting a sense that this is what most of these textual variants are. Is there anything that changes about your faith, whether this says the next day or soon afterward? Do we have to get worried? We're going to look at some of the ones that are more major. But but most of the textual variants are of this kind. Or, you know, even I go on to the the next page and it says... Um, some manuscripts say him, and now I'm even looking for for where the footnote is. Right, there, most of these are little, little things, and your Bible is telling you. If you re- if you know how to read your footnotes, your Bible is telling you, which means there's no conspiracy, right? No Dan Brown. This is not a big part of a big attempt to politically control everything by you know, you know, you know, vast right wing conspiracy, right? It's all known now. Uh, Ah, let's see. Because I did that, I changed my notes. Um, so, in a few, in both cases, yeah, go ahead. Just wondering, uh, some you know, when you're changing languages, you know, the next day and sometimes later. I mean, the words in translation there can be latitude in <coughs> what yeah. you can choose. Mm-hmm. So, when, when you're seeing that, the little one there is the thought that those things come from. Uh, oh, or, the great Greek question. or... or yeah. yeah, those, those are differences, differences in the Greek. Now, it, it, you know, when Heather's reading the NIV and I'm reading the ESV, there's differences in the translation. That's two weeks from now. But this is actually a difference in the Greek. So in the the, the NIV and the ESV might take a same Greek phrase and translate it two different ways. And we're going to see why that's not a problem. Okay. But this is actually... The, there's This family of Greek manuscripts has this... This family has the next day, some has soon afterwards in the Greek. Okay. Alright, we'll do one more. I told you that we wouldn't get through this section. We'll finish it up next time. Number of manuscripts. Now, this is this is really fun. We have 5,500 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. We have over 10,000 Latin manuscripts of the New Testament. We have five to 10,000 Manuscripts of other ancient versions of the of it in translations into Coptic and Syriac, for instance. And we have patristic quotations from the church fathers. So the church fathers were writing a lot. And those church fathers quoted scripture all the time. All the time, all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. We have over a million quotes from the New Testament, from the patristics, and in fact. Almost the entire text of the New Testament is quoted somewhere in the Patristics, in the Fathers. So we not only have uh, the manuscripts themselves, but we have other writers who are quoting the the New Testament. We have over a million of those. So we have a ton, a ton, a ton of manuscripts. Now, let's compare that um, to other Greek and Latin authors. So now, remember how I said that everyone has this issue because everyone's coming from... So here's what we have from different famous Greek and Latin authors. Livy, we have 27 copies. Tacitus, the, Hebrew, the, the historian Tacitus, we have three. Suetonius, we have more. We have 200, about. And Thucydides, who's a playwright, we have 20. Compared to 5,500 10,000, you know, we have a ton. we got a ton of stuff. Now, again, is anyone really trying to poke holes at whether we have the, uh, about Thucydides and the textual variant in Thucydides? No, even though we only have 20 manuscripts. But, of course, that's not, oh, Herodotus, I forgot him, 75. He's another famous historian. Right, but no one's going after Herodotus as if, it, as, as if nothing he says can be trusted and there's no possible way we could know what he really wrote down. Because it it just doesn't work like that. And Brad, you, yeah. You were, what you said earlier, we don't have any of the originals here. These are none of these are the originals. Of copies, of copies of copies, at least, or copies. Of yeah. Copies. These right are here. all the same. It's, it's the same exactly. It's the same. It's as same. As yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And won't these same people who are so critical also quote Socrates and Aristotle? Of course, who who are even earlier. Yeah, who are even mm-hmm. earlier who have the so okay. Well, that's where we're going to stop because mm-hmm. I want I think that's super helpful. And we'll explain more about why that's super helpful. But we have a ton of data. We have a ton of data, which then when we compare them all, allows us to have great confidence that we have very, very close to what the original authors had. Okay, let's pray, and then we'll shut her down. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, which is trustworthy and true. Yes, we don't have access to the very things that Moses or, or David or John wrote but we have very accurate approximations of what their actual words were, and we can trust that we have what we need from you. And We thank you, Lord, uh, for you preserving uh, your word over the centuries, that even though this process is a tad messy, yet over the course of time we have something so trustworthy and so uh, that can be so relied on. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.